0: Hello, dames and bombshells and bootleggers and all the ships at sea, and welcome to A Very Good Year, the movie podcast where we invite a guest to pick their favorite year of movies and talk to us all about that year. I'm your host, Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host... Michael Hull. Our guest today, uh, this is very exciting, our first novelist, uh, an Edgar Award-winning and New York Times best-selling crime novelist, whose books include The Turnout, Give Me Your Hand, You Will Know Me, Bury Me Deep... The Fever and Dare Me, the latter of which was adapted into a television series for USA, on which she was a co-showrunner. She was also a staff writer on HBO's The Deuce, which is one of both Mike and Mai's favorite television programs.
1: Cue the applause sound. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, And she also wrote the nonfiction study The Street Was Mine white masculinity in hard-boiled fiction and film noir which i bet more than a few of you would like to check out uh her new novel is called beware the woman and it is on shelves may 30th folks say hello to the one the only megan abbott hi megan
2: hi oh i'm so happy to be here this is exciting
0: (laughs) thank you so much for doing this um so let's just let's get the the business out of the way first, because we like to give guests who are promoting something the opportunity to do that right off the bat. Uh, so tell us all about the new novel, which is called Beware the Woman.
2: Well, let's see. It's um, I mean, I, I will admit all my books are very movie inspired. So um, <laughs> so um, uh, this one is is a little bit inspired by. um Movies like *Rosemary's Baby*. Yeah. Um, it is about a young, a pregnant woman who goes with her husband to um, visit his father in the upper peninsula of Michigan, which is very beautiful, very remote place. And, uh, while she's up there, um, she begins to learn things about her husband and his family that that she did not anticipate things quickly go awry. So, um, yeah, as they, as they tend to do, um, (laughs) in these these stories. So, so that's the basic idea. um,
0: We do love when things go awry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. Well, so you're, you're this fabulous novelist. People know your books, they know your TV work. Anyone who follows you on social media, anyone, you know, like me, who goes to egghead film events in New York, uh, and anyone who keeps listening and here's the year and the films you pick knows you are like, you are a serious cinephile. When did that interest in movies and, and especially in classic movies begin for you?
2: really it really does speak to our year because it really uh i grew up in suburban detroit and um, my parents were both movie lovers it was just a movie family but um there was this actual repertory movie theater oh in suburban Detroit in uh. the seventies and eighties. A very famous one called the Punch and Judy, and uh, they showed old movies and new, new or newish ones. I mean, I, I saw Harold Maud there for the oh, first wow. time. I saw you know, which had been out about ten years at that point, and Bugsy Malone and and things like that. But also. Um, The gangster movies screwball comedies really marx brothers really it was just a gem and so it wasn't just that i was seeing these on tv which in that era you know with five four channels maybe um there were old movies on tv but i also got to see them on the big screen which is really unique Um, i think really that was what sort of really got me excited and 1930s movies in particular because they were so shimmering and beautiful and and glamorous so as, as a kid that was just like candy
0: wow shout out to the punch and judy then for uh for for bringing another cinephile and more than one i'm sure uh you mentioned this briefly you know when, at, right at the beginning of the conversation but so how has that interest in classic cinema informed your fiction writing like how does that play into when you're devising a story when you're when you're putting it down on the page
2: it's always in there, even when I'm not aware of it. Uh, it's 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 sort of, I mean, I originally started writing fiction because I wanted to um, write my way into film noir. So my early novels are all these historical noirs and, uh, you know, trying to sort of write in, in a lonely place, you know, walk into those movies like, like that. And um, so it's always in there. But I see it in other ways now that I'm writing more contemporary novels, um, scenes that emerge and you don't realize that you've stolen from it until after the book <laughs> comes out <laughs> it's just like a, the visuals are so striking uh, right. and you know moments um certainly just it's movies like goodfellas it's just like there's bits from it scattered throughout my books or or the grifters you know and I and uh and I don't know if anyone will be able to tell but me because I need to picture the scene in my head to write it but uh it's always there
0: (laughs) nice nice all right well you mentioned you know that the that the 30s was a particular interest to you uh coming up as a classic film lover what year did you pick to talk with us about on this episode and why did you pick it
2: I picked 1933, which for any real golden age Hollywood people, they'll kind of know what that year means the minute I say it because it's the, sort of the last year before the production code in Hollywood started to be very strictly enforced. So, you know, up until then, especially in the late 20s, early 30s, which is sort of known as the, the pre-code, I'm doing air quotes, there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you two can see me, uh, pre-code era was just a time when, when things were very free uh, in terms of the content of the movies, in terms of um, sexuality and uh, morality mm-hmm. and, um, you know, drugs and things that I think most contemporary People wouldn't think we're in 1930s movies. They think that was all invented in 1987 (laughs) or something. Um, But but um, that so it's sort of the last gasp of freedom, and I think for I, I was especially interested in it because. Uh, For women in particular, it's sort of the end of having a lot of, you know, for a while, of of having a lot of movies where women drive the story and get to um, lead the action and behave badly. Yeah, be
0: be complicated for goodness sake, which is like something that's kind of seriously, like contemporaneously in short order, you know. Uh, right. Yeah. No, the uh, that, that feeling you're talking about is very familiar to me. Just like that. When you first start to see these movies, it's like it's de- it is shocking to see like bad behavior like this in a quote unquote old movie. Um, but it's it's thrilling. And uh, and there's you You really went hard on the pre codes in this
1: list, and i I very much appreciate that about it anything that came out before you know and the the whole story about Hayes and how he got his name on it is is also a, we don't have time for that right. now but like read the wikipedia at least on that cuz it's it's a story <laughs> in itself but like there were so so technically yeah. like any movie that came out before 1934 is a pre-code movie right but there's a particular kind of movie that gets referred to as a pre-code movie because it specifically has yeah strong women characters who are acting with sort of a wink and a nod, you know, in several instances, it has some of sort of the some of those elements, people who like, kill or get killed without a a very clear white hat or black hat on when it happens, you know, that kind of thing, like, and maybe don't pay for it at the end, maybe sometimes, you know, right? I know, right? And this is something that we've talked about with some of the code, you know, movies after where it's like you're watching some of these movies where it's like the bad guy is so bad. You're like comforted by the fact that, you know, he's going to get his before the thing is done, you know. Right. But I think that that what you mean when you say like you picked some pre-code movies are these movies that contain those elements that were specifically outlawed by the code. This is a great list. I'm so happy you're on our show. Thank you yes. for coming around.
2: <laughs> Thank you. No, that, that, that these are all ones that had problems, especially four in particular, one a little less so, uh, but... But uh, had real problems getting in before, yeah. and a couple of them actually had to had problems in 1934 when they were going to be a re-release or something because they were just unacceptable, even yeah. with the minor changes they maybe had to make before. Uh, before in 34, Joseph Breen comes in, and you know everyone calls it the Hayes Code because it's the Hayes Code, but it was really Joseph Breen that enforced it, right? And, and really. Um, you know, really shut things down. And I will add, of course, there's, there's great things about the code. I mean, you wouldn't have film noir without the code because right. everything had to be hinted at and <laughs> discreet. And it's so much more perverse, weirdly, <laughs> and it's yeah. morality. And, and you kind of often discount the ending because, you know, it's the cut, you know, but, but so the code did some interesting things, but I think you yeah, have that, when sound, sound begins, especially into this year, uh, because then you have the real American pattern of speech and urban, you have a real right. feeling of urban, urbanity and urban spaces in these movies too. Um, and there was something about um, the slanginess, the kind of coolness, there's just a kind of whole sort of American swagger. It's really American cinema kind of finding itself uh, in certain ways um, that I think made. Seem more and more threatening yeah. uh, than perhaps before.
0: Yeah, definitely. No, well, and it's I'm I'm this is wild this idea that wait, so like after 34 they were trying to put these films back out and they were being so so wait so our society was going backwards at a certain point we were we were changing our our ideas of uh what was socially acceptable i can't imagine such a thing Um, thankfully that's the last
2: time that ever happened thank
0: goodness (laughs) those days are done that's the past all right let's take another look let's look a little deeper into the past uh mike's gonna walk us through some 1933 headlines
1: they're all crap, bro. I'm just going to tell you. I'm sorry. It's not my fault. Uh, on January 30th, <laughs> German President Paul von, Hindenburg, Paul von Hindenburg appointed the dumb little mustache guy chancellor and started a whole thing that wouldn't end until Nazi number one shot himself in the face 12 years later because they're cowards and losers. And eventually that's what they all do. Yeah, well said. There's lots of details of things, shitty things they did this year, but that we're going to yeah. move on. Uh, on February 10th, the Postal Telegraph Company of New York City introduced the first singing telegram which is a thing that you can still get. Yep. Costs about 100 bucks these days, but you could probably get it down in this gig economy.
0: Here's the thing about the singing telegram, whenever you say singing telegram, I just think of that one part in Clue. Like when I was 10 years old and the <laughs> singing telegram girl appeared and got shot immediately, like that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen, whenever how <laughs> however old I was when Clue came out on VHS.
1: Have you been watching the news lately? Never mind, don't get a singing telegram, they'll definitely get shot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Jesus president elect finishes his impromptu talk and prepares to drive on to the railway station
2: when. <laughs> the startled onlookers suddenly realize what has happened. Pandemonium rain and the crowd, led by American legionnaires in their glistening helmets, pounces assassin Zangara.
1: On February 15th, Giuseppe Zangara tried to kill Franklin Roosevelt, but he was too short. To see over the lady in front of him So he had to stand on a folding chair And that fucked up his aim So he didn't actually hit Roosevelt But he did hit five other people and uh, Including he killed the mayor of Chicago At his sentencing he said I know afraid of that chair You one of capitalists You as crook men too Put me in electric chair I no care And they did just that Not even five weeks later So
0: A slapstick tragedy <laughs> So first of all Let me assert my firm belief. That the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance.
1: On March 4th, Roosevelt was sworn in as president for the first time uh, before Zangar was killed, but he apparently did not choose to pardon him. Oh well. (laughs) On March 5th, Roosevelt closed all the banks for a week because the Depression was cratering the world economy. And there were lots of other things that happened that year to try to combat the Depression. Famously, we didn't actually get out of the Depression until World War II because while there wasn't money for food, there was money for bullets. Oh, this is a movie show. I'm sorry, Jason. (laughs) Also in March, Gareth Jones started reporting on the Holodomor, a famine in Ukraine that was created by Soviet leadership and killed millions and millions of Ukrainians. Thankfully again, that, that never happened again. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. Thankfully we have a lot of problems and I love nothing more than to point them out. But, like, at this point, Germans are passing national eugenics laws, and Stalin is committing genocide in Ukraine, and Mussolini is ruining Italy, and Franco is being a bitch in Spain. England and France are fighting to keep their colonies. Like, at the same time, Roosevelt is creating the Tennessee Valley Authority and, like, the Works Progress Administration, right? Right. And, like, Social Security and shit. Like, it's easy to look at the kind of patriotic movies that came out after this era, and, and they seem sort of, like, corny. And silly, but, like, it really felt, I think, that in 33, legitimately, like, we were doing something different, something good. Okay, I'm done. These 30s (laughs) episodes get me so excited, (laughs) Jason Bailey. I I get very worked up. I know. (laughs) One last Nazi story, and it's a good one. Okay. On April 20th, under pressure from propaganda minister Joseph Gerbels to make films that were more friendly to the Third Reich, director and friend of the show Fritz Lang divorced his Nazi wife, Thea von Harbu, and on July 31st, he left Germany for good. Here's to Fritz Lang.
2: To come to Hollywood to make some of the best film noirs. Yes,
1: Yes, friend of the show. We love that guy. You know, we've
0: all broken up, I think, with some people for silly reasons, but like wanting you to do more Nazi propaganda is a pretty good reason (laughs) to break up with somebody. I'm going to put that in the Thumbs up column for Fritz. But
1: 1933 was really defined uh, on December 5th when the 21st Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was ratified, repealing prohibition, yeah. paving the way for wine snobs and home brewers and mixologists and also everyone who knows how to have a drink without making it their personality.
0: All right. Good stuff.
1: So here's to that.
0: Yay <laughs> yeah. for the end of prohibition. <laughs> yay. Yay, yay for the end of bootlegging.
1: Poor people have sex. Yes. So some babies were born in 33. Uh, Susan Sontag, Ernest J. Gaines, Kim Novak. Good. Willie Nelson, Yoko Ono, Bob Rafelson, Nina Simone, the Queen. Peace be upon her.
0: That's going to be my dream blunt rotation for this week. I think is Yoko, Willie, Bob, and and Nina Simone. I'll 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 pass that.
1: Yeah, I think it could just be Willie. Uh, <laughs> that's probably he could <laughs> so smoke Michael me Kane, under the table. Yeah, uh, Quincy Jones, who's still killing, like who's still somehow killing life. Yep, amazingly. Uh, Ruth yep. Bader Ginsburg. You need a Blackwell. Edward G. Robinson. Philip Roth, Renee Taylor, Jean Paul Belmondo, John Paul. Let me put some respect on this man's name and pronounce it correctly. Jean Paul Belmondo. <laughs> okay. James Brown, Jane Mansfield, Carol Burnett, Gene Wilder, Danny Aiello, neurologist Oliver Sacks, Dom yep. DeLuise was born in 33, right. had a great future ahead of him, Conway yep. Twitty, Fred Willard, anti racist uh. activist Jane Elliott, the lady who created the blue eye brown eye exercise. And finally, Jason, tell me a joke. Why is that, Mike? You're so lame. Joan Rivers would have had me crying by now. <laughs> Joan Rivers, born in 33. Nice. In sports, Pimo, Primo Carnera beat Jack Sharkey in the sixth round to become heavyweight champion. Uh, England beat Australia 4-1 to one to regain the ashes, employing bodyline tactics for the first time ever in a major competition. Big deal. I'm not going to mention the sport because you already said you won't talk to me about I it will in not. a different episode. I will not. <laughs> Rolling to the starting marks, Big King Campbell's 2,500 horsepower Bluebird is prepared for a record run at Daytona Beach. On the course, the tread tires are replaced with smooth ones to reduce friction, and the giant engine is primed. Are you ready, Sir Malcolm? And finally, there was no World Cup, but Malcolm Campbell drove his car, the Bluebird, 272.46 miles per hour at Daytona Beach, Florida, setting the land speed record for the time. The Bluebird was a beautiful car. Look it up. He would be the first person uh, to go over 300 miles an hour a couple of years later in a modified version of the car. And when I'm, like, tired... And I can't like read anything important or want to work on important things anymore. He uh-huh. becomes my hero because he dedicated his life to something utterly fucking meaningless. <laughs> uh, so here's the Malcolm Campbell in 1933 that's headlines. Thank you, Mike. All right, Megan, you ready to do a top five? I'm ready.
0: Top five! Alright, this is roughly ranked as I understand it. These are these these are variable. These you won't you won't uh you know, gun to your head, you're not gonna take these take these anywhere, but these these are pretty roughly how you would rank your your five favorites of 1933. So we are going to begin with a chiller from the director Michael Curtiz. Megan, what is the number five movie on your list?
2: This is uh Mysteries of the Wax Museum.
0: Exquisite. Almost
2: as beautiful as the original. Someday I hope to have you restore Marie Antoinette. What's the matter, sir? Nothing is my boy. Right,
0: I should like to meet your friend.
1: Why, certainly, sir.
0: You will always be
1: beautiful. Think, my child. In a thousand years, you will be as lovely as you are now. Come. No, no. Come. Let me go. Let me go.
2: Which I... I have to say is one of my more recent discoveries. I know I saw it as a kid, but there's a beautiful restoration of it now. Um, And I definitely didn't see this. Um, (laughs) I believe the film foundation um, and maybe UCLA uh, were involved in it. And the George Lucas, the George
0: Lucas family foundation. Yes. So like a little little bit of love to George (laughs) Lucas there.
2: It's good. I'll give it to him. I'll give it to him. This was a a revelation seeing it again. He always scared me as a kid seeing it with alongside universal horror movies and, and things like that. But, um, the, um, this, um, it's just beautiful looking and terrifying yeah, movie yeah. that you kind of can't believe um it's you know it's 77 minutes but so much tight. story is packed in tight it. as a drum it's, yes absolutely tight like all of the movies we're talking about mm-hmm. today I mean there's only one that's over 90 minutes or even over 80 yeah. minutes maybe <laughs> um but uh it's Michael Cortese one of the great directors who who never gets any credit because he worked in all genres and worked you know did it did the jobs he was assigned to very often but it's you know it's Faye ray it's glenda farrell who plays a reporter who's trying to sort of solve some some mysterious missing missing bodies and potential murders and she comes upon um uh, a, a wax museum and it's sort of disfigured uh, creator and you know you can you can do the math or yeah. if you've seen any of the other <laughs> wax museum movies I won't spoil it but I think what it is for me is that it's so haunting in the way that early 30s horror can mm. be the visuals you know it's still still the power of silent cinema where visuals they spent so much time on visuals because a lot of early 30s movies it does get pushed to the side because they're dealing with technical sound right. issues so much more. But here the the images are just so beautiful, and it has this sort of unreal color, these sort of acid greens. It's the two it's, I think it's one of the yes, two Say the last of the two. A two strip movies i think this and dr yep. x which i also watched the, I mean, around the same time with the last ones and so you have this sort of um unreal quality to it that doesn't just doesn't look colorized or old or or it, it just looks unreal which when you're looking at these at these wax uh statues just gives them this sort of power that is just just magnificent and it's also really gory yeah. and it has drug addiction and nudity <laughs> it's full pre-code like yeah. chaos you know you can't <laughs> kind of believe that they, they got away with it but they did yeah
0: no that you know the the two strip if if for anyone's listening who hasn't seen it and wants to kind of know what it is if you've seen scorsese's the aviator the sequences that take place sort of in the, the time frame around when they made this movie, he did he sort of digitally aped this two strip Technicolor process. It has a, a very unique look. Uh, and you're right, it is sort of weirdly haunting and re- and really effective in terms of the kind of waxiness that that it gives everybody, which makes the whole movie a little more unsettling, I feel like.
2: Uh, yes absolutely because there's a lot of broad comedy and goofiness and shenanigans with the report you know but 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 it all feels sort of you have this anxiety around it that a lot of great horror movies do with the with the stuff before the stuff yeah yeah (laughs) where you just feel this tension and everything's a little frenetic and strange and there's a stillness of these wax figures and uh, and a kind of classic um, mad artist, mad creator, mad scientist uh, personality, which is it's become so iconic. Yeah. Uh, already was in literature at this point, but it's becoming iconic in film. Yeah,
0: no, there's a beautiful and very recent Warner Brothers, uh, Warner Archive Blu-ray that preserves that from that recent restoration. But you're right. It's also like, I just now, I just watched it for the for this episode. I hadn't seen it before. I saw House of Wax years ago. And so I was expecting, you know, just like sort of an embryonic version of House of Wax. And this movie is as much His Girl Friday as it is House of Wax. Like, it's a really also wonderful, like, fast-talking newspaper picture, which, like, is one of my favorite kinds of of classic films as well. So, so yeah, Mystery of the Wax Museum at number five. All right. Megan, what is your number four movie for 1933?
2: Okay, so this is, this is a huge one for me as a little girl. Um, this is a bombshell. Ever
1: since I began to make a name for myself, he's been double-crossing me with his rotten publicity. He's not We've seen a- to it that Lola Burns is a family slogan from Kokomo, Indiana to the Khyber Pass. Strong men, take one look at your picture, go home and kiss their wives for the first time in ten years. Your international tonic. You're a boon to repopulation in a world thinned out by war and famine. You're Hello, the. That's one-
2: very funny. Directed by Victor Fleming and starring Jean Harlow, who was I was obsessed with as a little girl. Mm. Um, I thought she was the most beautiful and hilarious and and um, fascinating creature in cinema. You sort of the the first original platinum bomb the original bombshell right. this this really um you know uh, it, her story like many beautiful bombshells in hollywood is is rather tragic yeah. she dies very young a few years later um but she this is really one of her first roles where she really gets to show how great she is at comedy and she she was sort of wasted and she's famously in in public enemy one of my favorite movies of all time the great gangster movie but she's she's terrible in it because she doesn't there she's miscast and she's um and it's not well you know it's not really written for the um but she plays the sort of mall in that but um this is really when they that this year really um and the year before there, when they, you know, Red Dust and um, is, the, is the year before this. In fact, there's some inside references to it in this, right. but she was finally coming into her own um, at the ripe old age of what? She's like 24 right. or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, but she'd been in many movies, and. but it's about a movie star. So a movie star playing a movie star and she wants to give up the game. She has all these sponges and her family are all hangers-on, sort of you know, everyone is trying to bleed her dry and um, well, the the studio publicist, played by Lee Tracy, in one of the great, my favorite uh, performances performance. of the 1930s, yeah. the fastest talking, yeah. <laughs> Talk about his girlfriend. Yeah. but yeah, he's sleazy, yeah. he's he's amoral, and he's completely charming, and he's trying to get her back in 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 the business, and really will do anything to do so. And and uh, there's you know, so she she runs away, and um, and I don't want to spoil. There's some great twist actually for another very short movie but it's really just one of the most delightful screwball comedies one of the first great satires of hollywood there's so many inside jokes in this um there's and it's i guess it's sort of loosely inspired by both clara Bow's life um because Jean Harlow has this private secretary played by the great Una Merkel, uh, who is <laughs> duplicitous, and and that's a, that famously happened to Clara Bow, who I believe her secretary stole love letters right. of hers and sold them to the the But also sort of based loosely on Harlow herself, who had a... Um, Sort of aggressive stage mother uh, who married uh, uh, sort of a gangster <laughs> who uh, who really they you know, were both uh, bleeding her dry and so there's some references to that in this as well but the, but mostly it's just this frothy delight yeah. and it's so f- smart the script is just. You know, by uh, John Lee Mahan and Jules Furthman who oh, later yeah. write many great yeah. scripts. But it's really, it's just sort of perfect. And Victor Fleming, like Curtiz, is another great journeyman director who just can plug him in. And, and he's brilliant. Yeah. So it's, yeah, from, from from childhood, this is this has always been the one. Also, the, the costumes are Amazing. marvelous. For yeah.
0: yeah, no. Yeah, Victor Fleming, you know, if the name sounds familiar to the casual movie lover, uh directed at least parts of both Gone with the Wind and The Wizard of Oz. Um, those were sort of famously team directed, both of them, but he he got the on-screen credit on both of those and was also briefly engaged to Clara Bow in the mid-1920s, I found out while researching the movie. So maybe a little bit of uh, of insider's knowledge there.
2: I would say so. And I think he definitely knew enough about the Hollywood game to really be um, making the most of this Um, um, and, you know, jokes at every turn. And uh,
1: I'm sort of there. This is not the only one of the movies in your list here that, that sort of play on that, you know, Hollywood. I mean, I realize the movie we're going to be talking about next is more of a theater thing, but but very similar in the way that they sort of deal with. The, the industry from a performer's perspective the business sort of show oh uh, yeah, from the business of show, right and I'm curious they, they, they're not sort of talking about these things as inside jokes. I'm sure there are some that are inside jokes, but there had to be a lot of assumed knowledge. To think that these movies were going to play, you know, I mean, the next movie we're going to talk about, like, there's some big numbers in that. They spent some money on that. So I'm sort of curious, like, how was it just people sort of reading tabloid magazines or movie magazines? Like, yeah, the fan magazines. People really had that level of, of information. Yeah.
2: Well, and you I think you have to remember that in the Depression, people—that was the only thing that they spent their money, little money they had, on entertainment-wise. So people were seeing like five movies a week. It's hard to imagine right. now, but everyone saw Red Dust with Gene Harlow, and and there were, you know, as there were sort of um movie magazines. We may think about it now as more tabloidy, but there were also these sort of. Publicists yeah. pushed out glamour factory movie magazines that really were wildly popular. Yeah. And every newsstand would be filled with a hundred. So not only did you, had you seen every, Big movie, certainly every MGM movie, which is, his, but you would have read all the the magazines and you would have consumed um, all of it, and and the Gene Harlow at this time was within two years had become the one of the biggest stars in the world. So I, I do think they knew um, this was not, um, you know, in insider. I think there are some jokes in the next movie that are a little more insider, but I think I think this one is is, is pretty straight down the middle.
0: Gotcha. All right. Well, Megan, what is that aforementioned? next movie your number three for 1933
2: so this one it was hard this one I it was hard to pick actually there are three amazing movies in 1933 with Busby Berkeley uh, numbers and I had to pick among the three which is um, um, 42nd street and uh, footlight parade and this which is gold diggers in
1: 1933 it's always the way. I got the show, I got the music, I got the cast, I got the theater, all rearing to go, and it's the old, old story. Money.
0: I'm not kidding. I'll give him the money. He'll have it in his office at half past ten tomorrow
1: morning.
2: Where are you going to get $15,000? We'll make those guys pay for their fun right
0: through the checkbook.
1: Underneath your, what do
2: you know about me? Underneath, huh?
1: uh, uh, I mean, uh... oh,
2: I know what you mean, yo, sugar, <laughs> which maybe has some of the most iconic of all of the the
1: numbers. Of the the... Yes,
2: exactly.
1: <laughs> My wife was like, Wait, is that, is that what this is from? And then, of course, you know, straight to the internet, you know, yeah. <laughs> yes, well, because it's
2: you see it, you, you see it so many times before you realize what, what it could be from, and I, I think. Uh, uh, you know, these, we all, I mean, if you know anything about movies, you probably heard the term Busby Berkeley and you haven't sensed that these are aerial shots, right. but I think, um, the extent of his visual style, um, and, and you know, is. I mean, he's not the director here. I should add. This is also, you know, Mervyn Leroy is the director, but yeah. he these uh, these iconic uh, visual numbers. He who came out of the military and is amazing at putting large wow. numbers of people in formation. Wow. Um, um, so he and was also apparently a very dictatorial person, as you could sure. imagine. Um, but but this was another one I loved as a kid, and I rediscovered as an adult for its subversive energy so it's essentially a stage a backstage musical but it's very much about the depression i mean it's the only one of the movies that we they are talking about that actually explicitly mentions it, and and really that was not that common. And, you know, you, the idea was that you people go to escape to the, the movies to forget yeah. it, right? Yeah, we don't want to think about it. But this is actually about about um, you know the showgirls who you know can't afford to make rent and uh, and need to hustle, and uh, a producer who wants to put on a show, and and a lot of connivances, and uh, it's always the money.
1: I got the script. <laughs> I got the girls. I just don't got the money that I related to so many things in this movie. God, this movie was good. I loved that. This is a first time watch for me. And it was oh, really yay. fantastic. Yeah, oh. same. And it was, it was, it was instantly recognizable as one of these sort of these depression era movies where, You know, there's sort of hustlers, like where you're sort of dealing with people who are hustling to stay alive, and like I like even though it wasn't really an explicit bit of conversation all the time, there's always somebody who's trying to get by, and I mean, Mm -hmm. in a lot of movies, you know, there's somebody who's sort of scraping, right? And in this movie, it's very explicit about the showgirls are the smart ones, they're the crafty ones, and then literally some like they literally back bay Boston bluebloods, they they call them that. That's not my interpretation (laughs) show up and they just start fucking running circles around these dudes from the minute they get there and they show up saying showgirls are crafty. I mean, they're gold diggers. That's the name, right? (laughs) Like, you know, you can't trust them. They come in the door waving, like talking about like, I see all your red flags and fall for every fucking trick in the book. It's just the way the movie sort of delights in that, like working class hustle. Yeah, Uh, absolutely.
2: And celebrate. So much fun.
1: Oh, my God. So much fun. Yeah.
2: And, there, and these women are, you know, really would never be at the center in the same way. And there are a lot of stories about three women trying to find a husband. You know, there, there's a whole, you know, there's many to come movies like that. And that's sort of okay, even if they want a rich husband. But but in this, that, I mean, you know, some of them may end up with husbands in this, but that's not really-
1: That's not driving the plot. <laughs> this is
2: really, I think, the era when the American hustler is really defined in movies, but also explicitly that it can- just- just as easily be a woman and probably better because they have as we'll learn in our next movie yes. they have something that men don't have. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, and then the, you know there's so much a sort of dirtiness in this movie that's delightful and winking. And you you know it's almost like the strategy to get around the code was to say it so fast that no one was really sure yeah. what they had said yeah. because there's there's so much of that. But it it has a really sort of openly um Filthy and very strange number called Patton in the Park," which is <laughs> maybe about what you would think it's about, yeah. but it, it, it they call culminates that comes in
1: later <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> some really um, strange stuff with with the famous uh, actor Billy Barty. Yeah. Some of you may remember from later movies. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't even want to spoil the, the the visual sumptuousness and weird, dirty jokes in that number, but but they have an epic scale. Those numbers and if, Every time I see one of Buzzfeed Berkeley's numbers, I think there's no way you could do this on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it has to be a sound stage. Right. It has to be a movie. Right. Um, it has this famous neon violins scene where apparently the w- women holding these neon violins for effect—God—they kept getting electrocuted. <laughs> they kept getting shocked. I assume it. they um, all got <laughs>
1: cancer, so that's <laughs> probably know, actually better.
2: They, they just got like electroshock treatment that they didn't yeah. perhaps need. <laughs> but the 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 main. Number that I picked this for is one that I think is justly very uh, famous, which is "Remember My Forgotten Man," which is really that's a phrase "Forgotten Man" that people have forgotten yeah. about now. But that really, it really was about the World War One vets who now were on breadlines and had fought, given everything in World War One. And, and now no one was caring about, this is directed straight at Hoover, uh, you know, outgoing, mm. um, because they had marched on Washington under Hoover for not doing anything. Right. Um, to help them get jobs. And and this is a really Brechtian. It's even in the Brecht style of a musical number yeah. where it's speaking directly to this audience and, and Joan Bondell giving this amazing performance. And um, and this just gorgeous Adam Motens does this soloist of that. It's just, there's something sort of bluesy and haunting and, and subversive about the whole number. It's actually kind of a radical act and it just, just as seeing it as a doll, as a kid, I just thought it was, you know, visually so exciting. And but um, as an adult, you see it and you see, you, wow, I can't believe this is in a yeah. in a major Hollywood movie. Yeah. Different times, yeah. yeah.
0: You know what else I couldn't believe was in a major Hollywood movie was that back and forth towards the end with the uh, every time you say cheap and vulgar, I'm going to kiss you. Whoa, good <laughs> lord. Yeah. That is hotter than any scene I've seen in a movie in a few months. Uh, speaking of hot, uh, what is your number two yeah. <laughs> movie for 1933?
2: So this is, this is maybe one of now the sort of most when people talk about pre movies because of it's so it's subversive in a different way. But this is Babyface. I'll need everything I've given you.
1: All your bonds and securities.
2: I can't do it. I have to think of myself. I've gone through a lot to get those things.
1: My life has been bitter and hard. I'm not like other women. Get out of here or I'll... You got to marry me. If you don't, I'll kill myself.
2: directed by alfred green and starring the great barbara Stanwyck, just yeah. also becoming a star in this movie and she plays a young woman whose father runs this um essentially a bar and um and um sort of tries to pimp out his daughter yeah. you know i'm not spoiling it yeah. because the movie itself is what 70 minutes and yeah. this happens in the first three yeah. minutes the, um,
0: and yeah, they take care of him real quick they-
2: Yes, she's taken care of, and she she goes she she moves to the big city with um, her friend and other unusual factor that you won't see. And once the code is in, but her friend is is a black woman that she works with at the bar, who's throughout the movie her only confidant um, and has a character uh, unto herself. Um, but she goes to New York and she starts uh, in the employment office at, at Gotham Trust, this large bank, and slowly works her way up through her her wiles which <laughs> literally are, <I> sleeps mean, <laughs> her
0: way to the top like
2: like you see a floor floor, floor, by floor.
0: <laughs> i love it i love this movie so much it's
2: amazing and she you know changes as she you know she's so you know she changes her look her style uh, uh her technique becomes more sophisticated but she just climbs her way up and she is um relentless in it and it's so focused <laughs> her ambition is immense, and it's just a star making stomach performance and and the, the whole premise of the movie will never happen within a year right. and in fact this is one of the ones that they couldn't re-release as it was and that in fact had there's a different ending yeah,
0: that they
2: God, used that. After. And now yeah. God. it's a <laughs> there's a, it's a comically
0: it's, yeah. um corrective ending.
2: Yes, I mean, would be ludicrous yes. if like, she literally changed her personality in the last three seconds of the right. movie, which is what happens in a lot of postcode movies. But it's, um, yeah, she's she's incredible in it, and it is, um, in context, unthinkable uh, for this to be a Hollywood movie. Here, later. you will never see a woman get to um, seduce every man in the movie <laughs> to rise and to feel long remorse about things that happened to them yeah
0: and with the sort of encouragement of a of a mentor and his uh his Nietzschean philosophy
2: he's like with the iconic line use men to get the things you want and which Nietzsche didn't precisely say it's a rough paraphrase um, Yes not a great time to quote Nietzsche, but we'll forget that. But, uh, um, but it's, um, she, there's some, also, I, I didn't notice this, Jason, until I saw it this time, because so I know you had seen it before. Had you seen it before?
1: No, this was the first time, and Jason okay. was like, this is okay. my favorite pre-code movie, you have to <laughs> yeah. watch it. Yeah. It was the so, first yeah.
0: pre-code movie I ever saw. So, like, that's really sets a high bar for, like,
1: all of the other ones. <laughs>
2: it does and it, it's and it's you know i didn't because you're so excited by her and the subversiveness of the story and, the, and it's sort of dirtiest i didn't know there was some it is very elegantly directed, oh, yeah. directed and i don't there's some amazing shots um with what they convey visually about her personality just that she she doesn't feel any of the things that women are supposed to feel after 1933 yep. in movies um and you just don't get away with that again i kind of think everything barbara stanwick does after word is shaped by this she understands how to bring this into her performance and this leads to double yeah. identity and you know a 100 other great yep. movies um so yeah this is special yeah it so is. Is. I'm, I'm
1: i've been i've been i've been combing facebook and i'm i'm making a shot now i'm doing an overhead shot of my record player and I'm just going to swipe in faces of people that I've slept with over the years. Or maybe not. Maybe just people I wanted to slept with. Or just maybe I'll just make it make up the yeah. faces so I don't have to like actually confront any of this. But yeah, I have to participate in this movie somehow. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, that is really... It's hard to imagine a better movie coming out in 1933. But there is one more on your list. Megan Abbott. There is.
2: This is the bona fide... I mean, I don't know. I think these are all classics. But this is the... I suppose the, the most canonical and probably the most perfect, which is designed for living. Max, have you ever been in love?
1: There is no time to answer that. Have you ever felt your brain catch fire and a curious, dreadful thing go right through your body, down, down to your very toes,
2: and leave you with your ears ringing? That's abnormal. It's Ernst Lubitsch, one of the greats. Yep. Everything, everything great in Hollywood comedy-wise, perhaps comes from him. And certainly, you wouldn't get Billy Wilder without Ernest yep. Lubitsch. I mean, he's really so. This is um, written by Ben Hecht, one of the best screenwriters in the business, adapted from a Noel Coward play that apparently only uses <laughs> one line from it, but it certainly uses the premise, which is, which is. Uh, Essentially yep. about a menage a trois um, of, with a woman and two men, which is also the most the most unusual yep. kind of menage a trois <laughs> on cinema history for the next 50 years after it, which is it's Miriam H- Hopkins, one of the greats, Frederick March, Carrie Cooper. And she's a, she's a commercial artist. She can't decide between these two men she meets. One's a writer, one's a painter. So they decide to have what she calls a gentleman's agreement where she'll move in with them only as a friend and she'll be a mother to the arts and support them. And then- and then things go <laughs> sexual, yeah. sexual, uh, longings and, uh, erotic, uh, intensity and delicious froth and, um, and all the sort of beautiful mm-hmm. gorgeousness of these three leads all comes to a head. Um, and, and you kind of yeah. can't believe that you're saying it again. Um, it's got some of the best character actors in the business making it all spin. You know, you had Edward Everett Horton, Franklin Pangborn. And, you Love know, him. This is really, really one of the best. And every line is an innuendo.
1: And yep.
2: um, <laughs> he, was sort of the master of suggestion. And and famous, the famous term is the Lubitsch touch, which is that there's, <laughs> which is really, I mean, everyone would learn from him because they would need it the next year because he really figured out how to like get multiple. Dirty meanings into everything, but make it seem so sophisticated, (laughs) and and also that European sensibility. You know, 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 he is coming from Europe and has uh, just a more sophistication about these matters. You know, more cosmopolitan view of women, of sexuality, of um, the the fluid nature of sexuality. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, you know, this could be a, a movie. Uh, now, in terms of that, because it, 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 nothing in it is uh, stays in one
0: place. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think, I've really seen an uptick over the past few years of like of young cinephiles discovering this movie and really attaching to it because that fluidity, because it's so ahead of its time and still feels fresh in terms of of the sort of the sexual freedom of the thing. Um, I saw it for the first time a couple of years ago, and the thing that was really astonishing to me about it was Gary Cooper, Um, just that if you have this – if your image of Gary Cooper is high noon – um, <laughs> fucking watch Design for a Living because, like, you just, you think of him as, you know, this sort of the sort of stoic aged Western hero, and he is so hot in this movie and sexy and interesting. It's a one, I mean, all three of them are great, but they're equally great. It's not like he gets smoked off the screen the way you think he might by Frederick March. That's you. right, and
2: then usually with a screwball romantic comedy, there's like the one she should be with and that kind yeah. of stuff, the one she's going to be with until, but they, they both, I mean, frederick marge obviously very handsome but, but he's so charming and yeah and Gary cooper is sort of less verbally charming but he's so physically beautiful yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's you know he's he's almost more well he's in some ways more beautiful than beautiful miriam hopkins so he's just so yeah. and i think you know uh Lubitsch makes great use of that and yeah. and uh, the way these actors are able to uh generate the heat in every scene and yeah. the um it just makes it all sort of dance and it's the it's a, you know there's a sort of there are a lot of meta elements now that I think of it all these movies because the art the notice of the artist and uh, and what the artist conceals or reveals or the sort of um, mm. foolishness of the artist and um, and the, the decadence of the artist um, and then um, and how they want to be free um, but then in the end, you know, they, they want to be, they want to be the boyfriend, you know, they, you know, like all that sort of the way, I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of these, a lot of these movies now, I think the last three are all about women manipulating um, male desire to certain way, but also having it, especially in this one, I think this Miriam Hopkins desire for both these men is
0: palpable. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's and that is one of the things I, I almost feel like the greatest endorsement you can give this movie is the fact that, yes, it was, you know, it made it through the the, the Hayes office, but it was still banned by the Legion of Decency. And I think that is a huge feather in its cap. Yes. Yes. And in fact,
2: <laughs> it was refused re-release the following yes. year. So yes. they got they got all. <laughs> yeah, got
1: Amazing. it out in the world. That's and all that matters. Let's bring back the era when writers and, and painters could be the leads in movies without living in their mom's <laughs> basement. Let's, bring it, let's, let's get back to that I was <laughs> like at how like refreshingly like about art this is without being about art you know what yeah. I mean with that I mean yeah. they're not yeah. like yeah. they're not worried about technique but there's just sort of the world they yes. live in very nice
0: yes that's right exactly.
1: that's right
2: and it can puncture its own self-seriousness too which is exactly always nice
0: ah beautiful an amazing top five list Megan thank you so much yeah for bringing it to us really
1: word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by MUBI, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe.
0: From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover.
1: With MUBI, each and every film is hand-selected, so you can explore the best of cinema streaming anytime, anywhere.
0: And this week, we wanted to recommend a couple of newer releases in the library, both now streaming in the U.S. Um, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Free Su Lee, which came out last year and is a terrific documentary about an innocent man wrongly accused. Mike, you know how much I love my <laughs> innocent man wrongly accused documentaries. Uh, and this is a really good one. Uh, the, the, the titular Chol Soo Lee was a Korean immigrant who was uh, wrongfully convicted of a 1973 murder in San Francisco. And his case became a big sort of rallying point for the Pan-Asian community. Uh, and then the movie goes on after he is released for about another half hour and um, uh, complicates the traditional narrative in a really interesting way. Uh, this is a super compelling documentary. Really, really worth your time. Uh, that one, again, is free Chol Su Lee.
1: Uh Mike, what do you got? I would recommend checking out The Actress, starring friend of the show, Isabel Sandoval. It is a short Yay. film. It is just sort of really, really super creative and actually delves into the mind of an actress and, and sort of not just playing it out but what it means as a human being to to try to embody other people nice so it's actually like it's a really cool movie but it's also a study of movies and and of people that we've had on this show and is fantastic in it and all the costumes Excellent. are amazing and it's just a super super cool movie and it's eight minutes like come on you dig oh, it oh hell dig it exactly yeah, no
0: no excuse for
1: not watching that. Exactly.
0: You could try Movie Free for 30 days at movie.com slash a very good year.
1: That's M U B I dot com slash a very good year, all one word, for a whole month of great cinema for free.
0: Yay, free! So let's then find out what films were winning trophies and making money in 1933. Here's Mike with awards and
1: box office. This was the last year of that weird split year span, right, for Oscar eligibility. Oh, We've talked about this yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. It would like follow yeah. the school year, sort of. So as yeah. a result, the, the, the films for th- in 33 that were up for Oscars were lumped in with films released after August 1st, 32. So there was actually okay. a 17-month eligibility this year.
0: <laughs> well, they, so they could get themselves on an actual calendar. Okay. I'm
1: sure Got there me. were people who complained about that. I'm sure. Best Director went to Frank Lloyd and Best Picture went to Cavalcade. I've not seen Cavalcade. I sounded excited about that, yeah. but I've not either. No, all right. Best actor went to Charles Lawton for the Private Life of Henry VIII. This was the first British film to win an American Academy Award.
2: Hmm. I that is a delightful movie. I will say though, um, and Charles Lawton, of course, is a delightful actor. I have seen that one. Um, yeah, very good, very great early Lawton.
1: Yeah, no, he's fun to watch. Best actress to Catherine Hepburn for Morning Glory. Hey. I like Katherine Hepburn. She's she's got some skills.
2: I like I like her very much, and I like Morning Glory. Um, it's a it's a it's a great Hepburn era.
1: <laughs> yeah. Best short subject cartoon went to Walt Disney for the Three Little Pigs.
0: <laughs> that was Whoa. that was the, that wasn't one of the majors, but I just wanted to point out that the Three Little Pigs won an Oscar, and I love that. That's Amazing. one of my one of my youngest daughter's favorite Disney cartoons, and I just it's a great little cartoon. the The songs are
1: iconic, as the kids say these days.
2: Stands the test of time.
1: And it's like, it's about like pigs and wolves. So it's like not racist.
2: Well, I think it's, it's it, there's an argument that it was a parable for fascism. I think there's an argument about that. I guess they say that about all cartoons from the serum.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Domestic box office, top 10, number 10, Dinner at Eight. Oh, I love Dinner that, at Eight.
2: That was one of my honorable mentions. Another great Gene Harlow performance. But, oh, she uh, but is like, great in that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. But also, I mean, it's a cat, a, ca- a stacked cast. One of those great ensemble comics. It's very sophisticated, which is wonderful.
0: Yeah.
1: Number nine, another movie you've mentioned uh while while we've been here, Forty Second Street.
2: The classic. I, I love Forty
1: Second Street, yeah
2: tough to beat. Um, uh, it was only Forgotten man that put put um, put mine over the edge but it that and that one really stands it's actually more dramatic than than my pick and um, um, has a great central performance um, that and then of course maybe the most quoted line from a musical of all time
0: which is which is <laughs> you' got
2: to get back out there on the stage he's <laughs> it gonna uh, no, I can't get it right it's gonna make you a star right. That's the famous line that I just yeah. boggled because I think people always get the line slightly wrong. Just like all oh, right. the lines from
0: *Saplinga*, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I watched this one for the New York book and I was, I was really taken with it, but I was, I was also struck by the thing you said earlier, which is like, it's a backstage musical. So all the musical numbers grow organically from the plot, like their performances in the show, but then you watch them in the movie and they're all shot from these crazy Busby Berkeley angles. And it's like, (laughs) this would actually be a terrible show to watch on the stage. You just be looking at like the backs of people's heads for an hour and a half.
1: Number eight, uh, Dancing Lady with Joan Crawford and Clark Gable.
2: Oh, yeah, that was one of my honorable mentions, too. That's great and and delightful musical. Also famous because it's the first movie Fred Astaire is in. Um, This is a big year for him. He's in this and another movie. And and then we will start a whole um, new series of great musicals.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of musicals on this top 10 list. Like, that was the thing that was really strong. Almost half of this list is like musical comedies. Like, they were the superhero movies of their day, Megan.
2: Absolutely. Uh, You know, getting away from it all is really, I think, the the buoyancy of them. And a lot of them came from very successful stage shows, too.
1: And tap dancing. A lot of tap yep. dancing Always
2: yeah. In oh, the yes. old style yeah. Like yeah. Ruby Keeler yeah. You know that yeah. really hard You know <laughs> This is not uh, Just Sarah's gonna change A lot of that But the, the really in, Like hard stomp Of Ruby yeah. Keeler Which is like She's gonna murder someone Under <laughs>
1: <her shit. laughs> Number seven Footlight Parade Jimmy Cagney That was that was
2: also on my honorables. That's really another great Busby Berkeley set of numbers in that one. Um, Really spectacular.
0: Jimmy Cagney doing some tap dancing as well in that one. Indeed, indeed.
2: This is when he was—he was really showing himself to be, you know, (laughs) gangster, annihilating gangster, (laughs) and
1: And a song and dance man. Yes. Number six: The 1933 King Kong. Yes. Oh hell yes. <laughs> oh, hell that's hell my yes. big.
2: That was my big move is to not include that only because I thought well everyone that's the Everyone's one 1933 Kong, movie yes. people will have seen if they've seen any yes. 1933. I, I mean that's a great movie but I felt like I didn't have to stomp for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Number five tugboat Annie with Marie Dressler and Wallace Beery.
2: <laughs> I have seen that one. That is pretty funny. It so is fun. I mean, it's uh, I don't say it's a movie as a whole, but, yeah, performance. I mean, it, it, she's one of the best. She's also yeah. in Dinner at Eight and really spectacular. This is Wallace Beery, who's yeah. um, kind of, you know, years later, Barton Fink will have to write a wrestling picture for him. <laughs> 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 there should
1: yep. be a 70s exploitation movie called Tugboat Annie that takes place on, like, a gambling... <laughs> One of those, like, you know, stationary gambling boats, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Number four, she done him wrong, Mae West and a baby Cary Grant. Yeah.
2: Yes. As beautiful as Gary Cooper, that that was yes. on my honorables too. That I loved yeah. Mae West as a little girl as well, and that's yeah. another one with innuendo that would be impossible oh, to <laughs> end.
0: Like, like her last burst of freedom was sort of her
1: her first burst of stardom. It's a real it's a real fucking bummer, is what it is. <laughs> Number three, uh, we spoke about this one already. The Gold Diggers of nineteen thirty three, fantastic movie. Yep. Number two. May West back again. I'm no angel. Oh, baby Carrie Grant's back again too. Yeah. yeah. They were they were yep. knocking it out that year. Yeah. Yeah. Probably yeah. behind the scenes too. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No, this is I love the fact that that both of these early Mae West movies came out in the same calendar year, like like just roars out of the gate and then just gets like immediately decimated by Joseph yeah, Breen. Like,
2: yeah. Hurry up while you get it while you can. It's almost yes. like they're running for their lives.
1: Yes, exactly. And number 1 another musical featuring Eddie Cantor, mm. Roman Scandals. I'm I I I can't. I tried. I couldn't.
2: <laughs> I have seen this. I, it's also a visually stunning movie and Eddie Cantor is is great and there's a lot of there's a orgy, nudity. And there's a lot of very. but there's also uh, I got to finish it. Then. I mean some of these some of these movies have problematic stuff, and that <laughs> yeah. movie has a lot. Of it. I'll just say that you can yeah. like dot 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 it. <laughs>
0: It was striking to me that like, I mean, first of all, that, you know, first of all, that the number one movie of 1933 earned $2.4 million, the, the, like a tidy sum, um, but that the number one movie of 33 was like an Eddie Cantor vehicle. And I feel like he is one of these stars who was, who was very big at the time, but who, you know, has sort of disappeared into the, you know, the dustbin of history. Like we don't, we don't, we don't talk about Eddie Cantor all that much these days. Um, and no, I'm not sure...
2: and he was a big force. Yeah. Yeah. As you say.
0: I, I'm not sure what it was about about his personality that sort of didn't stand the test of time the way that like Mae West does or WC Fields who we'll mention or the Marx brothers or any of the other sort of contemporary comedians but he had he had a moment in 1933 that's for damn sure.
2: Yeah, yes, no, it is it always is mysterious that that way. I think um you know with the decline of the musical which would be quite a bit less popular, of this kind a few years later Sarah Rogers, this is a more um, very different kind of musical um, um, it feels like he, you know, these are more stage based, he came from theater and vaudeville and it does feel like there's some kind of turn of the tide that didn't work in his favor but he's also just really funny yeah, it's he just is funny. Uh, a shame
0: yeah, 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 alright well, uh, Megan, you want to do a lightning round? yes Okay, Mike, five minutes on the big clock for us, and here we go. Because you just mentioned it, the first Fred and Ginger movie, Flying Down to Rio, was released in 1933.
2: Great movie. Yes, yeah, spectacular. It, they're not the main characters, and that would never happen again they were <laughs> never in a movie. they steal the movie out from under Dolores Del Rio. It was beautiful, but it, the, 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 this is the first time they dance together, um, and it's spectacular, and it will yield um, with several more gorgeous um, movies to come. So, yeah, thumbs up on that.
0: James Wales, The Invisible Man
2: that was also in my honorable mentions it's incredible uh iconic whale uh really one of the one of the best um of the universal horror directors and just a beautiful director in general uh that that just recently on HBO max streaming people can get it if they've never seen it it's quite a feat
1: great
0: movie claudette colbert in yeah claudette colbert in the torch singer
2: Yes, I love this movie. This is a melodrama, the the unlikely story of uh, she plays a woman who gives up child up for adoption, becomes a she's a, a, a torch singer, and then she rises to the height of of uh, fame and uh, glory and money, and tries to find her daughter. It's a real melodrama in the um, what, you know we later think of Douglas Sirk tradition. It's a real tearjerker and and um, gorgeous to look at and really over the top and an enormous amount of plot packed in. (laughs) A very short movie.
0: Greta Garbo as Queen Christina. This
2: really iconic movie. um, Less watched today, but really I think the great Garbo performance, Haunting. um, This also has some fascinating erotic subtext (laughs) in it. um, um, And uh, gender uh, fluidity as well. And it's just really, if you want to understand why people... We're fascinated by garba this is the movie i think to see um if you just see one but you know, you'll want to see more after yes she, she has something that's almost undefinable
0: um, she sure does her. William Wellman's Wild Boys of the Road great little film
2: oh yes this is a great uh, hobo tramps (laughs) kids on the ride in the rails movie Uh, Wellman's sort of what can we call them wild man Wellman he's a sort of free and easy director and really the real life this feels like real life um, even even if it's slightly more uh, exciting pattern but it's it's a great movie Um, really just um, sheer delight and really captures another aspect of that era that um, um the, the, the quote-unquote hobo
0: culture george Cukor's take on little women
2: Really wonderful, still my favorite of all the 150 yeah. adaptations. <laughs> uh, great Catherine Hepburn is Joe; she will always be my Joe. Um, and uh, a real, a real sob fest at the end. <laughs> um, you know, he really is one of the great directors of the 30s. Uh, also directed part of Gone with the Wind along with Victor yeah. Fleming, and uh, um, and was sort of famously known as a woman's director, which was code for a lot of things. But um, but the movie is just great, I think. Yeah.
0: I feel like we'll know we've really been doing a lot of shows when we've hit all of the little women in the lightning round. (laughs) The one and only Marx Brothers in Duck Soup. Great movie.
2: Yes. this I mean, definitely should have been on the list, but I also feel like people know this one, but maybe not. I I never know how people know the Marx Brothers now or if they pick the wrong one. If you're going to pick one, this might, this would probably be the one I would recommend as a first one to really get their, um, ins- you know, sort of insane energy and operatics and, you know, a hundred things going on the screen at once and sort of whole wild energy of that. this was, um, as a kid, I, I loved all these movies and have never, really never stopped. Are you Marx Brothers fan?
0: Huge, yeah. huge. They were my entry into into classic cinema, like they were the first old movies I ever watched. Gene uh, Harlow again, uh, and again with, with Clark Gable in Hold Your Man.
2: Very underrated pre-code. I think it's starting to get a little resurgence in recent years, but it's a real tough as nails uh, with um, you re-teaming her with Clark Gable, and it's a real sort of kitchen sink. When one of those one of these 30s movies where they sort of flip around genres a lot. There's parts that are really funny, parts that are very dramatic, parts that are really seedy and it, it's fantastic. And another, another they had great chemistry the two of them.
0: Yeah. Uh Barbara Stanwick was very busy, not only in Babyface, but also Ladies They Talk About and Ever in My Heart.
2: I've never seen ever in my heart, but oh, okay. I, I have to look that up. But ladies, they talk about it. as all time favorite, one of the great women's prison movies. <laughs> it's mm, really It's yeah. got all all the tropes to come in women's <laughs> prison movies, and I do mean all of them are in this one, and it's uh, uh it's fantastic, and it's really hard, like those those early thirties movies. They're so hard, it's just spectacular.
0: Great, and then let's wrap it up with the only actor who was busier. In 1933, than Barbara Stanwyck. James Cagney was in not only the aforementioned uh, Footlight Parade, but was in Hard to Handle, Picture Snatcher, The Mare of Hell, and Lady Killer. Any of these ones that you've I, seen? Picture
2: uh, uh, Picture Snatcher is actually a low key favorite of mine because it's loosely inspired by the photo- tabloid photographer Ouija, you know, yeah. who took those oh, iconic yeah. photographs. It's about one of those photographers, and it's a real little hidden treasure, uh, definitely worth seeing. I mean, I think he had a better, in general, 31, 32, than thirty-three, but he comes back again next year. I mean, those other ones might. Wait, I had, I did, a, I think I've seen a couple of those actually. Now that I say it, I did go on a long hang. <laughs> run but but footlight parade i think is his real star this year he's so great in that movie
0: beautiful all right excellent lightning round megan abbott thank you so much for coming on um we're gonna throw it to our friend wxl foley for a quick psa head on over to your favorite podcasting app give us a star a rate a review give us a written review and tell us that you love us because that's what lets people know that we're here and, Megan, where can people follow you on social media if they're so inclined?
2: I'm on um, Instagram um, and uh, Twitter for now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> oh, I can be found pretty easily on both places. Um, I, I, uh, I enjoy my Twitter and but. These are our dark days.
0: <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are indeed. Uh, and what's your handle on those on those uh, platforms? I think
2: Megan? it's uh, it's Megan E Abbott on Twitter. I feel like on Instagram. I'm verified, I'm still unverified on, on there, but I'm easy to find. But I think it's actually Emmy Eliza Abbott because I was a later adopter. So uh-huh. um, but you can find me by I believe I have a baby face picture on as <laughs> the most recent uh, nice. screenshot from baby face. So you will you will well know me have a baby face.
0: <laughs> well done. All right, I am Fun City Cinema on Instagram, Jason Dash Bailey on Letterboxd, where you can find under my lists the top five for every episode of this show. Mike, where can people find
1: you? I am at BrainwashedLib on Twitter.
0: And I should also mention that we are now on Substack, AVeryGoodYear.Substack.com. Right now, you'll find the podcast and show notes, but stay tuned for some extra goodies for paid subscribers. Mike, before we go, what is your favorite movie of
1: 1933? Um I used to be uh land without bread the Boonwell documentary that like is about this like little town in Spain that makes fucking Tennessee looked like a, a, a parade of roses in 33. But I tried to watch that shit again, and it is just unwatchably cruel, bro. Like, it is that can't be my favorite movie from this year anymore. It's good, yeah. but you don't need to watch it twice. Like, that movie is fucking yeah. brutal. So, my yeah. favorite year for movie from 1933 is Hallelujah, I'm a Bum. Uh, it is a fantastic it's an Al Jolson and like you know I watched some of like jazz singer and then I was like alright that's what that guy did fuck him and I didn't really pay any attention to Al Jolson again for years after that and I still don't remember why I ever watched this movie but it's just delightful it is like all the rich people are stupid all the like smart like good genuinely lovely characters in the movie are all poor as hell like it is very directly about the depression uh, and about about sort of surviving in that era. And Al Jolson's just great, dude. He's got a black best friend. You know, similar to to Babyface, and they do everything together, and, like, you can't disrespect his fucking friend. You know, like, it's not a sort of servant character. He's frequently pouring, like, coffee that's clear because they don't have any coffee, so it's just hot water. (laughs) It's such a great movie, dude. It's such a great movie. And there's all these great songs about how, like, you can be poor, but you don't have to, like, be fucking miserable about it, bro. Like, that's sort of, to me, the message that I get from a lot of the... um, the song yeah. in the movie. It's really great. And then there's a lady and she has amnesia. And if you've ever seen a fucking movie before, you know what's going to end up happening with her. You know, once once sort of she falls in love with Al Jolson. Um, right. But anyway, Hallelujah, I'm a bum. The song itself is great, but the movie is well, really I mean, like, yeah, lovely. Yeah, it
0: was it was on the lightning round list. We didn't get to it just because it's my favorite title of a movie for 1933. <laughs>
2: And I should add that Al Jolson was married to Ruby Keeler from Gold Diggers of wow. nineteen thirty three. So what
0: a powerful nice, couple. They nice poll, Al Jolson. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. Uh
1: I would ask you what your favorite movie of nineteen thirty three is, but I'm pretty sure you have a duck soup tattoo. So I'm just gonna go <laughs> on ahead and say it's duck soup.
0: Oh no, I should have picked it. <laughs> I I you know, when you were like, Should I do this year or this year? I said thirty three in the hopes that you would pick duck soup, but it's cool. You're right the, the logic is sound <laughs> people who know this era have seen duck soup but yes the marx brothers are like they're my everything they they i discovered them as like a nine-year-old i was real popular um and they were very much my entry point into old movies and then just sort of into cinephilia in general and that that i mean i've liked there are things to like in all of their movies but that three picture run from of monkey business horse feathers and duck soup is like their absolute best like pure uncut anarchy chaos brilliance those movies make me laugh i've seen them all like probably over a hundred times each and they still make me laugh every damn time i love duck soup so much uh but babyface is a really close second really (laughs) close um so thank you again megan abbott
2: oh thank you guys this was so much fun
0: thank you mike
1: thank you jason
0: and thank you for listening. It was a very